You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. Okay, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. As you do find uh, your way to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, uh, let me just say it's good to see you this morning uh, after having traveled uh, back uh, from Southeast Asia with our team. Uh, We arrived a little before midnight on Friday night, so I am confused as to what time it is right now, but I'm where I need to be, so we're good. Um, Man, I just praise God for what he is doing About 11 years ago, I met uh, Pastor Osram uh, because he was a translator on a team I was with uh, through an IMB trip, and we just maintained a relationship and began to find out that this guy uh, was the real deal, and uh, about 10 years ago, uh, my previous church decided to begin supporting him. He had two small churches and seven Bible studies that he was leading. Uh, God would, through the friendship I had with Justin and him serving at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Crestview, uh, bring them along to partner. And then when God brought us both here, uh, eventually through uh, the part, our missions MLT, we began to multiply that support. And I just want to testify today, I think we have a picture of Pastor Osram here, um, that from that guy, uh, young pastor, who had two small churches and seven Bible studies, through his investment and other pastors in the kingdom, today their network of churches consists of 550 house churches. 550 house churches. Steve Renna would be proud. They have the Excel spreadsheet to show you. And in that 10 years, this group of believers has baptized over 11,000 people. 11,000 people. It is just such a great privilege that we can uh, partner with them. And thank you for your prayers and your support and your generosity. And I just ask you, church, to continue to just seek the Lord together for how he might move in and through us. Tonight at five o'clock, we're having a prayer night as we talk about how we desire to make more disciples and to see the world impacted for Christ through discipleship. And I encourage you to be here with us tonight. Well, as we uh, look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 17, as I was studying uh, for uh, today, the words of one of the most famous hymns uh, kept coming to mind. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The message of this opening verse of amazing grace is one of the central tenets of Christianity. I was blind, but now I see. Over the next few weeks, we're looking at a portion of Ephesians that explains the transformation that takes place in the life of a Christian, and we start today with the idea of progression. Now, the Oxford Dictionary defines progression as the process of developing or moving gradually towards a more advanced state. Now, I personally am not a huge fan of the word progression these days because it makes me think of progressive ideologies and progressive politics and progressive Christianity. But regardless of how the world may have stained this word, progress towards a more advanced state should be a reality for Christians. Today's passage shows us that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord 
that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in, is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created for likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul begins by saying, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Paul, drawing upon his apostolic authority, urges the Ephesian believers not to walk as the Gentiles do. To walk and to live are synonymous language in the Bible. To walk is the direction of your life and where you are headed. The use of the word Gentiles is a general term here for those not in Christ, we do know from other, other passages of scripture that he isn't talking about observing the Jewish law. He is talking about a transformation that takes place in the life of Christian, a Christian, in the walk of a Christian. I was traveling over the last few weeks and in and out of several airports. And, uh, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with airports. But one thing I like about being in airports is just seeing all the different places people are going. And the reality is at an airport, you can't stay there. You are going somewhere. And in the same way, we can't stay stagnant. We might think we can in certain times when it seems like things are going slow or life is standing still, but the reality is we are not in neutral. We are progressing. Some of us without God and some of us with God. And so I want to look at how we progress without God and how we progress with Christ based on the text this morning. And so we'll look at three aspects of each of those. Paul begins by showing us how we progress without God. The first thing that he talks about in our progression without God is foolishness. Foolishness. Verse 17, he says, in the futility of their minds. The word futility means without purpose or without truth. This is used over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes. Without God, so many things are meaningless. Without God, money is meaningless. Without God, speech is meaningless. Without God, relationships are meaningless. This means that we are either missing the value of these things or we are placing a value on them that they don't deserve and it's causing us to miss out on what life really means. Now, we have a good number of pilots in our church most of us at least have a basic understanding of what the concept of flying is, for me to say this, living without learning from God is like flying a plane without even knowing about gravity. It's missing this basic concept of life. And those who are trying to figure out life and figure out their way without God are missing this basic idea, this basic principle of life. Now, some of you might be thinking that's pretty offensive because you're basically calling people who aren't, you know, believing in God or living for God, you know, ignorant. On our way to the airport from our hotel, uh, whatever night it was, I'm so confused now, um, I had a conversation with our Uber driver. And he, he was from a Muslim background and eventually, you know, I began to talk to him about our different faiths and asked him what he thought about that, and he said that 
Each of us had our own road, but in the end it would work out. In the end it would be okay. A friend here said to me not that long ago when I talked to them about living for God, they said, I think life is just about being happy and letting others be happy. And I said, well, what about God's happiness? Are you concerned with that? He said, well, I'm just gonna focus on those I know and what it means for them to be happy. And he wasn't interested in discussing this any further. And many just live a life that echoes what people hang on their wall, live, laugh, love, without God. Paul tells us in Romans why this is. I would I ask you to go to the book of Romans because I want you to see these words as I read them in Romans chapter one. Paul explains that the gospel is the power of God for salvation and then he kind of unpacks how the gospel saves people. Look at Romans chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile, there's that word again, in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Hold your place there, we'll come, we'll come back in just a moment. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying it is obvious that there is a God that we should be seeking and the reason that people are not seeking that God is because they ignore the truth. They suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. And it results in this foolishness of idolatry, and that may look plain to us in some cultures, but it's hidden and it's real in other cultures. And so it's foolish to progress or walk in this life without God. The second thing, and where that foolishness leads us to, is what Paul tells us here in Romans 1, darkness. And he says the same in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. We walk in darkness if we progress without God. When I get up early in the morning, which to my wife is any time before the sun is up, um, when I get up early in the morning, uh, it's usually very dark, and I uh, think I wanna be good to my wife and not turn the light on uh, on my phone or anywhere else, and so even though I, I'm very familiar with our room, I try to make my way through the room in darkness, and almost inevitably, I kick something, I kick the edge of the bed, break my toe, and end up waking her up because I'm so loud anyway. And I'm telling you that this is what living life apart from God is like. We think we have a handle of what's around us and understanding, but we're in darkness, and, and, and we're alienated from the life that comes from God. The scriptures tells us in 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It's, it's completely light. 
And so if we're walking away from him, then we're walking away from the light. Now, why do we do this? Well, Paul says, because of the ignorance that is in them. This phrase or this word that's used in the Greek of ignorance is often associated with someone who wants knowledge but isn't able to obtain the knowledge. I've noticed in children and in adults, people will say they want to understand something or why and then they don't really listen to the answer. The truth, the truth is they're not trying to really understand. They're just trying to get their way. And this is what Paul's talking about. And he says here why there's this ignorance. He says because of their hardness of heart. Because of a hard heart. So they have a hard heart about money. And it doesn't matter what God's word says about money. They're not gonna listen. They have a hard heart about their time. And it doesn't matter what God calls us to. They're not going to listen. They have a hard heart about how they feel about people and what they want to say about people. And what God has to say doesn't matter because they want what they want. They have a hard heart about their sexuality. And they don't care what God has to say. They have a hard heart about wanting to feel accepted and validate the ones around them that they won't listen to what God has to say love and truth really is. You see, our ignorance of spiritual things is not innocent, it's, it's evil. It's blameworthy because it comes not from a lack of truth or evidence but from a deep hardness in our hearts towards God. And it creates this foolishness that leads to a darkness Charles Spurgeon says, the same sun that hardens the clay softens the wax. The difference is not in the sun that shines on the material, but the makeup of the material it shines upon. Perhaps this morning, your heart is hard about the things that you want and therefore hard towards God. And you're walking in darkness because of this not allowing the light to change your life. Robert Bractor says of these that Paul is describing, they don't know anything and they don't want to know anything. They're in darkness. And that leads us to the third step in the progress without God, and that's callousness. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Prolonged pressure upon a point over time leads us to a callous. If we continue to hard, harden our heart towards God because of the things that we want, then we find ourselves given into sensuality, unbridled lust. As this text tells us, greedy to practice every kind of impurity or perhaps better worded for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Back to our text in Romans chapter one, Paul goes on and he explains this. Romans chapter one, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Y'all, this was written 2,000 years ago. And in our culture, we think we've evolved and we've progressed. And we're just doing the same old thing that man has done apart from God forever. And it leads us to this callousness and God gives us over, the text tells us, to our lust. Now you might be thinking, well, I'm not really serious about God, but I don't see myself like that. I don't know your heart, but I'll just say that's what I would expect to hear from someone with a futile mind, darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God, marked by ignorance, that it has a heart that has grown hard. And today there's this ideology that says, hey, there's all this noise and it's trying to tell us what we need to do and how we need to go on our journey. And we need to remember to listen to ourselves. We're our true compass. And I, I understand the appeal there in the midst of social media and, and for real, all the noise. But can I just tell you this? Your heart isn't the true north. The word of God is the true north. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the true north. And at the end of the day, I love you, but it doesn't matter what we think about ourselves. We're not gonna die, stand in front of a mirror and give an account to ourselves with eternal consequences. We're gonna die and we're gonna stand before a holy God and he's gonna render a verdict to as to how he sees who we are and what we've done or we failed to do. And today, if you recognize this callousness in your life, this darkness in your life, this foolishness in your life, I would just plead with you to change the direction of your life. Look, I, I love listening to music. Some Christians think you should only listen to K-Love. I rarely do. Um, and I really like listening to popular music because I just think so many uh, writers uh, just articulate things that people think and feel, maybe not things I agree with, but it's put into words. Those of you who know me know I particularly have a fondness for like 90s, early 2000s hip hop and the way they wrote, and that there is one particular modern musician who I really love the words that she writes in many of her songs. Her name is Taylor Swift. And in her song, it's not funny, in her song, <laughs> Anti-Hero, listen to the lyrics. I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis, tale as old as time. I wake up screaming from dreaming. 
One day I'll watch as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming for the last time. Did you hear my covert narcissism I disguise as altruism? Like some kind of congressman, tale as old as time. I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving and life will lose all its meaning for the last time. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. What she's saying here is we need to take responsibility for the life we're living. And where I would disagree with Mrs. Swift is the answer is not actually looking into the mirror, it's looking up. And maybe a little more theologically astute person, St. Augustine, wrote this. Our hearts are restless until they find the rest in thee. And so you might be thinking, I'm trying to figure things out. I'm trying to figure out my journey. I'm trying to figure out my walk. I'm trying to figure out my life. And you need to look outside of yourself and look to God. We can escape from this foolishness and this darkness and callousness by hearing the voice of Jesus being taught by him. That's what Paul says in verse 20 to the Ephesian believers. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. So Paul, Paul's saying, I think you were taught about Jesus. That's what I'm assuming here. Christians can change, but you don't just wake up on a Tuesday and just randomly change. You're not like eating your oatmeal and you're like, yeah, me and the Quaker Oats man, we were having a conversation and I just figured it all out. That's not how it works. Somebody has to teach you. And if you've been taught about Jesus, then you know that that's not how I live anymore. But if you haven't been taught about Jesus, that, that's what needs to happen. As we're traveling to these villages and you know, the, the state we're in, there's people and they, they are religious and they believe in 33 and a half million gods and, and they just don't know. They don't know. And so we tell them about who Jesus is and some of them receive it with joy because now the answer of how we can have peace with God is there. And I would say in progressive Christianity, there's this desire to feel validated and justified, but we've, some have never really looked to what does the gospel say? What does the word of God say? And I would say that in our traditional settings, including a Baptist church, we go through the rituals of faith, but maybe we've never grasped that God is holy and we have fallen short of the holiness of God. And as we sang, Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God and he was buried in the grave. But this is God we're talking about. And so he rose from the grave and he promises us victory. And so if you've been taught that, if you've been taught that, then walk in that. If you haven't grasped that and you're trying to walk for Christ, just heed the words of Jesus, Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If you think you're seeing and you're not, how bad is that? Is what he's saying. And so the answer is listening to the voice of God. John 10, 16, Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. And so the question for every person who claims Christ is, are we listening and therefore progressing in Christ? And here's what progress in Christ looks like. Number one, 
removal. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put off your old self. That belongs to your former manner of life. Change your dirty clothes and put new clothes on. And the corrupt old self through evil desires, is corrupt means being corrupted. The old self is being corrupted through deceitful desires. That word often gets translated as lust, and when you hear lust, you think about sex, but epithemia is not just about sex, it means a soul lust, a craving, a yearning, a greedy desire, something about which you might say, I have to have that, because without that, I can't imagine my life, like an amount of money, or possessions, or a certain lifestyle, or a certain status, or a certain success, or certain acceptance, or certain experiences, and of course, sex and those kind of things. And truth be told, Christians can fall into some of these bad habits and behaviors. For the non-Christian, they're callous. Like, it doesn't really matter that I'm living this way. But a Christian is the one who still has a tender heart and says, I know it's wrong. I wanna change. I'm not right with God, and this is bothering me. A Christian may find themselves headed towards destruction, but they know better and they want better. A Christian may find themselves heading towards destruction, but they know better and want better. I've shared this before, but uh, when we bought our first home, we ended up living there for seven years. That's the longest home that we've lived in up until this point in our life. And uh, we lived there. We had kind of our house that we thought was gonna be forever house that we ended up only living in for three years built. And I had driven the same route every day, you know, for seven years. And after we had had our new house and built that house, one day I was leaving uh, somewhere and I drove back to my old house. And I pulled in the driveway and I was like, oh, there's a car here that's not mine and there's things on the front porch that aren't mine. I don't live here anymore. That is what it's like when a Christian sins. We might fall back into that same trap and motions and desires, but we get there and realize the Holy Spirit tells us this is not where you live. This is not your home anymore. And so we need to remove sin from our life as we progress in our faith. Number two, renewal. As we're willing to put off the old self, there is a renewal that happens. And he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And so he's, he's calling us to this renewal implying that the Spirit is running things now and we need to shift our mindset to yield to the Spirit. I am not that person anymore. I don't think that way anymore. It's a change that happens inside of us, who we are. In uh, certain countries, like uh, in Africa and in Asia, and specifically in India, uh, one of the great initiatives of many people is to um, eradicate slum living. If you've ever seen uh, this kind of uh, living, these are really temporary quarters set up um, with tarps and uh, wood and sometimes aluminum and um, where people really shouldn't be living and disease is rampant and dirtiness is rampant and in, in places like this, people live in there for generations. And so a lot of organizations have come and said, hey, we're gonna remove people from the slums and a lot of Christian organizations have actually said, hey, that becomes our primary mission too. And one of the pastors that I know said to me, he said, we can't only be concerned with taking people out of the slums. We need to ensure that the slum comes out of people. You see, there's a renewal that happens in you. 
The goal isn't just getting you into a church. The goal is the gospel in your heart. It's just not about a relocation and a reprioritizing of your schedule. It's about a renewal that's happening in you. Listen, God's word says this better than me, so I'm just gonna look back if you wanna join me in some of the verses we've read over the past few months in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18 says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Chapter two, verse 14 through 16, he writes, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Chapter three, verse 10 and 11 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Later in verse 18 and 19 of the same chapter, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that we're encouraged that the work of the church in chapter four, verse 13 and 14 is until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, there's a renewal that is taking place in the life of a Christian and we must yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And I would just say the key to this is the idea that we have in our values, that Jesus isn't a part of life, he is life. It's saying, hey, to, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This renewal. And the last thing that progress with Christ is removal of the old self, renewal by the spirit of God, and then righteousness. Verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. When I use the word righteousness, I think it refers to our position and our direction. When we are saved, our position is righteous. We are right with God. This verse is about the direction. Now, because of the position, this is how we live our lives. When you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who you are in Christ, you know what to do. And the great temptation for the Christian is this distraction from who we are. In Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book, Mowgli is a, a man cub. He's raised by wolves. And he doesn't really understand who he is and what he's capable of. And the villain, Shere Khan, the tiger, wants to get rid of Mowgli before Mowgli realizes he's a man and man knows how to create fire, which is Shere Khan's weakness. He's trying to stop Mowgli from knowing what he is capable of. And I'm telling you that what our enemy is doing in all these distractions 
<clears throat> and all this noise and all these temptations to cause us to forget that by the spirit of God, we have the fire of the gospel inside of us. And God wants that flame to be ignited. He wants us to fan the flame of the spirit of God. And he wants people to be reconciled to God, marriages to be restored, hope to be given, children to be set on the right path, churches to do great multiplying work for the mission of God. And the great distraction for you is that you would not walk in the righteousness that fits with the position that you've already been given. And may our claim today be the claim of Paul in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, that we have have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Here's what I'm saying today. You can't stay in the airport. You're going somewhere. You're progressing. Life is not neutral. And the question for you will be, are you gonna progress without God or are you gonna progress in Christ? Here's the thing, you might not reach the final destination anytime soon, but you need to decide, I'm gonna head in the right direction. Clinton Arnold says, there is no middle ground of neutrality in the Christian life. Either one is succumbing to the powerful influences that cause moral corruption, or one is being empowered by the Lord to appropriate righteous and pure attitudes and behavior. I am telling you, you decide today, will I walk in foolishness? Will I walk in darkness? And while I allow my heart to continue to be hardened to the things of God. And the invitation here is remove the old self. Hey, some of you, that thing you're doing, That's not you anymore. You think, man, this has so much power over me, and I'm not denying that. But you have the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the fire of the Holy Spirit. And he's victorious. And you need to remove those things. And you need to put up disciplines in your life and say, I'm not going there anymore. This is not my home. Some of you need to be renewed by the Spirit of God. It's time to say, Spirit, I yield to you. Have your way in and through me for your purpose. And walk in righteousness. I, I would say it's like a child at the airport. A child at the airport just looks to their parents and says, I'm going wherever you're going. That's the call. Wherever Jesus has taken me, I'm going. A man in the car, I asked him, I appreciate that you say that my road and your road lead to the same place. But here's what I appreciate about your faith. He's Muslim. You believe God is holy. How can we be in God's presence if he's holy? He agreed, you and I, we can't live a good enough life to be in the presence of a holy God. So how will our road lead us to where God is? And I said, can I tell you what I believe? What God has said to me? God has come to us through the cross of Jesus Christ where the wrath of our holy God was satisfied, where our punishments were paid for. 
That's what softens hearts. Soften your heart to Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those in this room who might be under the conviction of sin, I mean, under the conviction of your Holy Spirit of the life they're living, and I pray they would not harden their heart. They would realize the good news of the mercy of Jesus Christ, and they would soften their heart towards him and confess their sin and receive his grace and begin a life of living for him. And I pray for the Christians in this room. God, we didn't just need that once, we need that every day. And just help us to depend on you in this moment, right now. Have your way, in Jesus' name, amen.